All right, folks, welcome back to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, the podcast where we take action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. On today's episode, we're continuing our coverage of Young Justice, uh, Young Justice Season 2, a.k.a. Invasion, and this is going to be the second set of episodes, episodes 4 through 8, so stay tuned for that after these ads. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. One, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of our favorite action animated series, yeah. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to the Animation Deliberation Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair, and joining me, as always, for Young Justice, it's my co-host, Zuhair Ali. How's it going, Zuhair? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, you could say I'm uh, I'm feeling crash. Feeling the crash? That's right. That's right. Uh, not feeling the mode. I'm feeling the crash. Um, so, as stated at the top of the episode, we're here to uh, tackle the next set of episodes that were uh, curated by yourself, as you've kind of been doing as, as uh, we've been tackling Young Justice. So, um, as per usual, I'll give you the opportunity to kind of describe uh, why you thought these episode stood out as a little individual arc as well as uh which characters you want to kind of dive into first here yeah man so the last episode that we wrapped up with kind of showed a really big storyline with calderon being a bad guy now after the death of tula and a lot of issues between aquaman and the team and also finding out that he's black manta's son so having to fight their team was kind of a big thing um we got a lot of what was going on with our old characters and new characters, but we didn't quite hit everybody, so these episodes give us the opportunity to deal with Artemis, Kid Flash, Red Arrow, and what their stories are after the events of Season 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely dwells into that. We get a lot more background for new characters, and then we end it off on a pretty big episode that had me freaking out at the beginning of it, so... I figured that was a good place to wrap everything up, talk about some new characters, talk about some old ones. What were your yeah. thoughts? As I've kind of said with uh, each continuing iteration of this coverage, all I can say is I continue to be impressed. It seems like as the show continues and these characters grow and develop and get stronger and more confident, the show itself does the same thing. I kind of said it um, in our offline discussion. I I wonder, like, what kind of budget increase did they see from season one to season two? Because, like, the ante is just upped in in every regard, you know, from the action to the facial animations to I, I uh, even like some of the voice actors they were able to bring in. I felt like uh, I there were definitely uh, there was definitely at least one standout voice um, that I recognized instantaneously and really struck a chord with me. Hmm. But uh, yeah. As you said, it's it. The show continues to do an excellent job of uh, taking these characters that we've learned to to love and appreciate, and uh, really get to know on a more intimate level um, over the course of season one and into season two, as well as you know, learning more and spending more time with some of these newer characters. It's it's been a real real treat as a uh, as a fan of the source material. Um, yeah, I, I just really appreciate the way the the, the show balances both. Uh, spending time with old characters as well as uh, getting introduced to these really new and endearing characters pretty quickly. So being the behind-the-scenes guy, who's the voice that stuck out to you? Oh, okay, so it's a, it's a fellow named Jason Marston, who uh, he's acted in a few live-action things. I know he popped up on an uh, uh, episode arc of uh, uh, Boy Meets World, where he played, his name's Jason, but he played a character named Jason uh, but outside of that, he actually uh, voiced Max Goof for a very, very long run, including the uh, the Goofy movie. Hmm. So, who did he voice in? Yeah, and Young he, Justice. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I forgot <laughs> to mention who he voiced in Young Justice. He does uh, he does the voice of Impulse, which is one of the new characters we <laughs> okay. get introduced to. But right off the bat, one of my favorites. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, so you were curious about what was going on with Kid Flash and Artemis. So what did you think of their storylines coming back into the season? Yeah, I was. Uh, it was super nice to get to see them again. Uh, the season has done a, a good job of kind of making us wait with bated breath as far as what they were doing. There's just been no context whatsoever up until this point. And then we find, yeah, they're, they're kind of out of the game and they've uh, embraced this relationship, which we got to see the beginning parts of, uh, you know, in season one. And it's really interesting to see how full circle they've, they've both come. You know, they were both pretty uh, butting heads, to put, it, to put it nicely, but now <laughs> they're clearly in love and, and he's mature. Uh, Wally, Kid Flash, it's, it's kind of funny that he continues to be referred to as Kid Flash. Yeah, right. Because he really, he really has matured um, so much and uh, he was played for so much comic relief in season one and, and there's still certainly that element that's just a through line of his character but he's definitely handled um, with a lot more uh, he's given a lot more emotion I would say he's he's the positions that he's put into and, and the way they utilize him in the story he's kind of questioning um, his his friends chiefly uh, Nightwing uh, Dick Grayson so they were they were definitely good buddies had a lot of laughs uh, the first time around but yeah uh, he's he's certainly matured and uh, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts we can kind of get into Artemis uh, after that but uh, definitely nice to see their relationship blossom as I mentioned it's really interesting to see with this show how much they like casually bring things up uh, not to divert from Kid Flash too much, but we had the scene sure. where everybody was engaging the clone Roy Harper because mm-hmm. he was just a mess trying to find out where the real Roy Harper was. And that's when Nightwing, Kid Flash, Oliver Queen, Dinah Lance, and X-Guardian... All yes. showed up just to find out that there was another clone. Like I know you were asking, like uh, at the last season too, like what is his story? What's his origin? And I was like, just wait. So yeah, yeah, there was just another clone entirely. And when he said, like, oh yeah, he's my nephew, it's like, no, he's you. <laughs> um, so they just they casually bring these things up, and like you see Kid Flash over there, it's like, yo, kid, you weren't in the last three episodes. Like, how are you like showing up in just I guess civvy clothes? And he points out, like, you retired, and that's when, you know, you see that they have a home, they have a puppy, they live together, they're in school, they're, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to live the civilian lives and just be, like, normal people for as normal as those kind of people can be. And it was, it was just wild to see, it's just like, man, like, how much happened over the last five years, or just you make, just to make you and Artemis go, like, man, we can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, super critical, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is actually the first time we get to see him. His uh, his care for this version of Roy Harper, the guy that he went on the team so badly, is kind of what gets him to even uh, be there in the, in the first place. Otherwise, he looked very happy with his, his happy home life with, with Artemis. But uh, a couple things that stood out to me in that scene where we got to see them doing you know the whole uh, happy couple at home uh, did he mention that this, the test that he still had in the morning was for a Vietnamese class? Is, is that Something correct? of that sort, yeah. A Vietnamese which, literature which class or something of that sort. So that made me wonder, was he learning Vietnamese to have like a closer relationship with Artemis' family? Because if I'm not mistaken, his her mother, uh, Leanne, like, she could be Vietnamese or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm assuming too much there but i kind of i kind of took that away and that kind of speaks to if it's the case it does kind of speak to um kind of his character change there but then the other thing is uh as thoughtful as he's become he did mention that he's forgotten valentine's valentine's day four years running (laughs) running Uh, that's yep yep i'm glad you appreciated that (laughs) I, i like that she was like i got you your favorite thing all the food. <laughs> oh, they're yep. so cute together. Yep. Uh, we know he has a hell of a, met- hell of a metabolism. Yeah, needs it. Uh, so, with Artemis, she uh, she doesn't join, or she doesn't return to the fight until a little bit later, and part of that is kind of inspired um, by the fact that, you know, Wally West suited up when 
the aforementioned impulse showed up on the scene. We got kind of a nice, uh, I won't call it a full-on bottle episode because none of these episodes are bottle episodes. They all plant seeds for the the larger machine that's at work there. Yep. Uh, but the fact that he, he suited up is a big uh, inspiration for her to return to the fight. Um, and it was... She's one of my favorite characters, and it, I I have to think that the the creators of the show and the animators of the show have a real soft spot for the Archer characters because between her and uh, Red Arrow, Roy Harper, and even the you know speedy version that we get to return to in, in uh, one of these episodes, they just always get some of the most high adrenaline and and well animated action sequences for my money. Yeah, I think they're trying to show that the the archers aren't messed aren't meant to be messed with it's like mm-hmm. hey we we add a value to the team and they did that with batgirl a little bit too when they were like it's kind of weird that you're the only one that doesn't fly here but she was like really helpful and really productive to the success of like what their missions were so it's like hey don't yep. count us out just because we're humans like we're we're here to work yeah, there were there were a couple of great moments like that where they had little jokes where they called people out for their names, which is a recurring theme from last season. They had the whole joke about uh, why isn't Speedy the name of Flash's mm-hmm. sidekick? But I love the uh, the Martian Manhunter surname call out that we got from from Godfrey, Very as well curious. as um, yeah, as well as the whole thing. Yeah, it is ironic that. Batgirl is the one that can't fly, even though Bumblebee was there. She is Batgirl. Um, so as as far as um, their relationship goes, and it being such a a centerpiece to this these set of episodes, it is the fact that Artemis returns to the fight, and Wally has this hesitation um, that we get one of the most jaw dropping dramatic moments in the series again. Um, her quote-unquote death was so well pulled off i was i was i wanted to to text you immediately but like i said i I knew we were going to be recording here before too long so i wanted to save my my raw reactions but i was it it was so well executed because not only did it it make me really believe that we'd lost this character that i've grown to love as much as calderon had already broken my heart i started to hate him like that quickly i was able to like turn on him oh man uh I, i'd love to to hear what you thought i know you, you you're on what you're like sixth watch of this series overall yeah. but i i have to imagine that's a a really poignant moment that that continues to strike a chord with you that's that's definitely one of my favorite episodes in like tv period i was very vocal the first time i watched that because like i said like i'm not a big comic book person or anything like that so i don't have any reference to these characters it's just i enjoy watching t- good television and when that when that scene started up i was like first off am i on the right episode what did i miss <laughs> and then i was like what is happening like we've barely even seen artemis and now i'm just watching her get stabbed like what is going on like this show has no chill with trying to kill people off and man that was it was really difficult to watch and it's it even Okay, so we had the the opening, so you knew that she was going to die at some point, and that made the conversation between her and Dick really interesting, because Kid Flash says to Artemis, like, I'm not okay with you doing this, like, I don't know why Dick asked you to do this, he knew that we were trying to get out of this life, but the conversation wasn't even so much that, what if something happens to one of us, it's just a matter of, like, getting obsessed with the lifestyle, like, there's something that's a part of this that they have difficulty moving away from, and right. in a past episode, we get to see that the result of what Wally is afraid of is happening to Artemis's sister in Cheshire still living the villain life and trying to take care of a child. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like what, what Wally is trying to prevent Artemis from doing is what Cheshire is actually living out. That's a that's an interesting comparison there that I hadn't really connected to connected myself yeah i didn't think about it till i said it just now so it's just kind of like popping hey, well, my head as i'm saying <laughs> but yeah man that the episode was really well done everything with artemis just broke my heart like actually counting off the cpr and superman or superboy saying that he can't hear the pulse like 
right. them having to keep the secret to that detail like she must have been at least like a little sick or something afterwards but like it was yeah. it was really intense it was really well done it's scary thinking that that was on cartoon network as a kids show <laughs> right right yeah it's it's pretty intense i imagine there were quite a few tears shed and i was on on the verge of it that's why um, I was super, super glad that they were, they didn't hold off on too long. They didn't hold off too long on making, you know, letting us know what was really happening there, um, both for Artemis as well as for Aqualad. Cause like I said, I was kind of seething there. Yeah. They even have the whole scene where like the whole league that's on earth is mourning her and mm-hmm. really driving it home, making you think, man, this, this, this really happened. <laughs> Jeez. The way he said um, it, she was like, welcome back. And then she just drops. I'm like. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, seeing everybody crying and heartbroken and whatnot—it was just. And we get a glimpse of the fact that it's not the first time they've had to deal with this too, because we see the shrine of the fallen heroes, see Cord, right. we see Tula, a character that we haven't seen before, Jason Todd. Yes. So I made note of that. That's confirmation that he. I said, it's confirmation that he's believed to be dead because you know if you know anything about the character of of jason todd um it is young justice and he's one of the young characters i yeah i wouldn't be surprised if he if he shows up down the road that's why i'm maintaining believe to be dead yeah it's it's just wild that like within the five-year span dick grayson started doing his own thing jason todd came in so what maybe two three years he was robin before he was killed by the joker and then tim drake yeah, came in like so within a five-year span like batman's gone through three robins <laughs> yeah i mean green arrow kind of had that moment where uh he basically said his min- his mentees were the poster children for stay away from the stay away from green arrow club but yeah um Batman's got a little bit of that baggage as well. <laughs> um, but I mean, uh, did, no. I mean, did you have any more to say regarding um, Artemis in that mind-blowing episode? Um, no, no, not not too much. Um, I mean, obviously, no, uh, not not for the mind-blowing episode. Obviously, we, we do see the return of her character later on, but we can tackle um, that when we get to it. Uh, because the other big conversation that happened in that episode was between Superboy and Megan in mm-hmm. regards to mm-hmm. how they broke up and everything. Yes, yes, that gave that provided quite a bit of context. Um, in the first couple set of episodes, we had that uh, episode on Ran and Rangar, I believe it was, uh, where Superboy opened up to Alana a little bit, but we we learned the real nature of why why he broke up with Megan, and it's. It's just, it's pretty heartbreaking in itself. I mean, Superboy is not the most emotional character. He's certainly got some pathos and some angst, and he's had his his, his emotional growth along the way. But uh, to hear him uh, describe what McGann did to him and the way he was familiar with uh, her touch inside his mind mm-hmm. and the fact that he describes it as a perversion, oh, my goodness, like, I, uh, and it's... McGann's one of my favorite characters too, and it was a, a little tough to like see her kind of rebuff him a little bit. And she did apologize, but she didn't. She didn't seem as as sorry about the you know abuse of her psychic powers as a, as I would hope she would be. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think about the development of their relationship and and the context that we were provided there? It really has added to the level of maturity that we see in Superboy's development. Mm-hmm. Because he was just kind of like this angry kid that had to deal with this. It's, I think this kind of pushed him to the point where he was like a little too heartbroken to care. And we have seen other episodes like when he teamed up with Blue Beetle and kind of went on a mission on his own. Like he's fo- it's He's composed, but he's focusing on the missions to kind of vent a little bit. But he's thoughtful on his missions. It's not like he's he's out of control and acting on impulse. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. see this level of just kind of like I it's it's like I'm just gonna dive into work and I'm gonna do a good job at it. Yeah, I, I could see that he he still has feelings of resentment, so he's uh anytime you see McGann and Lagan together, he 
obviously bothers him, but like you said, he, he finds something to distract himself and, um, it is nice to see him get to interact with a more rookie member of the team and actually, mm-hmm. um, step up as a bit of a teacher because he had so many great moments with, uh, Black Canary specifically last season. And he gets to have some of those moments with Blue Beetle where it's like, Hey, didn't you do the homework? Freshmen never do the homework. You can't use sonic powers on this thing. Um, and he kind of made the point that Dick Grayson's really not that are not around that much. And with Megan being so busy with Lagan, he has to kind of take that role a little bit, even if he doesn't want to. Yeah, no, it's uh, we even get that moment where uh, it's kind of played a little differently than you might expect when he finally gets the opportunity to don uh, Superman's outfit. It's. Uh, <laughs> It's a little bit of a deflating <laughs> moment for him. And then uh, the one time he says he hates monkeys, this this set of episodes is that he hates monkey suits. <laughs> I love that so much. I was like, I'm going to wait for Jay Scott to bring that one up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Nolan North continues to do a really good job of, uh, as, as I mentioned, when Superboy has that moment where he is, able, or has those moments, I should say, where he's able to broadcast a little bit more of an emotional spectrum mm-hmm. uh nolan north does a, a, a great job bringing it to life um so speaking of megan and lagan yeah. first off like they have no chill with pda it's like <laughs> calm it down guys like we get you both live there but it's like you kind of in you're in public space um but secondly it's like does megan have a type of characters that just lose their shit really quick and get mad and get their asses handed to them because that seems to be what Lagan was portraying in his roles uh, maybe it's a uh, a white martian thing <laughs> maybe the they like him feisty they like exactly that's all i can i love his I line of it. of like oh you're stereotyping me for being the water person i was like well you're doing a shit job at it because three black manta ships just came in and you took you long enough to notice <laughs> yes they continue to uh make lagan unlikable like i noticed his use of chum um towards superboy it's kind of like that uh I won't say backhanded compliment, but uh, what's the description I'm looking for? Uh, kind of just like a disingenuous like term for friend. Like you know, Chum is is shark bait. So like he first refers to Superboy as, as Chum when he, they kind of have that brush in front of Megan, and then later on he calls Aqualad Chum as well. And we know how he has very vehement feelings towards uh, Aqualad. Um, you said Chum. Which made me think of Chum Bucket, and now I can't stop saying Lagan is Plankton. F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for no survivor. <laughs> I know I switched it up there on you. <laughs> the deep blue sea. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, it is appropriate, you know, given his... Uh, his aquatic nature, but uh, he definitely is a bit of a blowhard, and it's that's appropriate as well, given his puffer fish nature, his ability to to grow in strength and whatnot. But uh, more like buffer fish. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag buffer fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, uh, he refuses the. They, who is it? Uh, is it? Is it Superboy that told, tells him to stand down, or is it Nightwing? Oh, it's Nightwing, because I remember he uses the terminology belay that. Because yeah. I remember making note of that. Belay, in my experience, is a very nautical term. Um, so Nightwing says it to uh, Legan right there, which Legan doesn't obviously, obviously doesn't listen to. Some of his resentment towards Superboy um, makes him, you know, kind of rush into the scene unprepared. And he gets overwhelmed and, and gets captured. Um, but the other instance was actually Aqua Lad. He said, uh, belay that when he was speaking to his soldiers. And that's when he actually, uh, they took off their helmets. Or he took off his helmet and went to the surface and had that showdown. Oh, the um, music when their heads started coming out of the water. So it was perfect. scary. So well done. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's about to go down. Super ominous, yeah. And the look on his face, those... Uh, piercing piercing wide eyes man 
Oh, so well done. I love this show so much. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Mermaid McGon was pretty cool. Yes, yeah, super cool to see her gill up, and I, I wondered, like, what can't she do? Yeah, right? <laughs> She's like the, the jack-of-all-trades, like the... She really is, the I, I would argue, the most invaluable member of the team between the, the psychic comms and uh, shape-shifting and, you know, yeah, phasing abilities. Uh, but she actually was kind of given an opportunity not too dissimilar to Superboy where she was able to she was able to showcase some of her experience and and some of the skills that she's picked up as a tactical leader where we in that episode where we see her lead the team of uh the girl members of the team to Bialia which was uh resulted in a really really awkward and funny joke with Batgirl and uh Robin or see look at me messing up calling Nightwing Robin <laughs> that just uh Shows my uh, my affiliation from uh, season one. Come on, but, man! It's yeah. been five years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got to keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, she, she says uh, Queen Bee's not the only one that uh, what was it can drive men crazy or can can mess with the mind of men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that so much. It was just like, why did you feel the need to clarify that it was an all women's team? Would you have done that if it's all a male team? And he's just right. like, there's no right answer for this. <laughs> I was like, good on you, man, for just being like, nope, I messed up. I'm done. Yeah. And he doesn't even wait for a response. He's just like, yep, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to in know. the comp link now. <laughs> I really yeah. like that team. I feel like there's a lot of times where, like, the female team thing is just kind of, like, pushed. But this mm-hmm. was one of those instances where it's just like, hey, here's a few badass characters who just all happen to be female who you're just going to keep loving from here, which I do. That was a really awesome episode, and them, like, portraying their skill sets and just being awesome was like, yes, I need to see more of them. Yeah, they were all characters that we were, um... Well, Megan was the only recurring character. Exactly, yeah, we'd spent a little bit of time with, uh, Barbara Batgirl, but that was always in context of the Bat family. So, yeah, we got the little... Uh, moments from the the first set of episodes with Wonder Girl, but Bumblebee was very much a background character, and she still continues to be a little bit. We did get the the moments with her and Mal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mal is definitely a character. I, I got to imagine at some point down the road he's going to get his own episode, and we can get um, some of his origins. But yep. um, outside of that, she got her her moments. We got the first. Correct me if I'm wrong. We actually got the first time in this series that we've seen Ray Palmer. Right? I think he showed up once in season one. Did he show up? Okay, okay. I remember he was mentioned, but I, I couldn't remember that he actually showed up. But this is the first time he's had any kind of speaking role, as, as brief as it was, though. Well, Ray Palmer is the Adam, right? Yes, he is. Okay, so the Adam's initiation um, was in season yes, one. Yes, okay. okay. But yeah, okay, I don't think he call. had much of a speaking role. It was just that silly shot of him being tiny and trying to hold up his ID. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's yeah. not like Ant-Man where he retains his strength when he's tiny. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, most of my exposure to that character was actually uh, through Legends of Tomorrow, and the character was originally introduced in, I think, as early as, like, Arrow Season 3, I want to say. That sounds right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, definitely cool to see, you know, the larger DC universe kind of get built out. Uh, but going back to these uh, these particular sets of characters, uh, Bumblebee had that really funny moment with Batgirl. It's kind of fun. Uh, Batgirl <laughs> got some of the most uh, the best comedy moments. Yeah, when she's in the the vent shaft and Bumblebee just comes up to her face and it's just giant <laughs> set of eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, how is uh, obviously... here? <laughs> yeah, and I love the fact that it was Bumblebee's uh, plan. Like, uh, there was that moment where uh, Wonder Girl and McGann uh, met at the rendezvous point, but they were still waiting on Batgirl and Bumblebee. And when she shows up, they're like, oh, you're alive. And she's like, was that ever in question? Let's go. I got a plan. (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's her plan that ends up saving the day. So we don't get to spend the most amount of time with her, but the moments that we do, uh, they count. So There's a level of developed confidence that I've been appreciating in McGann in this episode. Because she's very mm-hmm. clearly in, she's very clearly the leader, 
she, you you see the confidence like in her voice and in her action. She comes up with plans. She's very she's very good at morale too. Like when mm-hmm. Wonder Girl is kind of freaking out, she's kind of like, "Hey, you're doing a good job. Keep it up." Yeah, <laughs> and you see like Wonder Girl's performance kind of step up from there too. You know, aside from being caught. And right. you, there's a there is a very high level of confidence in these characters' abilities to work as a team and work together and come up with these solutions and their dependency on each other, uh, which mm-hmm. is really cool to see that like kind of the the issues that the original five had to deal with like it's not like we're watching these new characters have to do it again, like they've actually been very good mentors to this new team in developing their progress and their their teamwork ability. Yeah, yeah, that's a, an excellent point because the, the the set of characters that they go up against are certainly no um, light hitters. They're definitely like heavy hitters. We get the return of like, and that, uh, just speaking again to the, like the continuity that we get in this series, it's not to to throw shade at any of my favorite series or anything like that. But in a lot of these modern adaptations, you only get the opportunity to get like one outing with some of the the big villains or whatnot but that's what's been really rewarding about this this show is we get to not only do we get to spend more time with the heroes but it's really cool to see the return of these villains over time so uh we get simon who is uh kind of mcgann's nemesis nemesis um yeah at this point in the show as in terms of being like a psychic enemy i love the way she said ready for a rematch yeah yeah that was great that was great and uh, yeah, as far as like her badass moments go too, and and speaking again to the teamwork when she's locked in that uh, psychic battle with Simon, uh, Icicle Junior is getting ready to land that final blow, and he brings up the fact that she kind of—that's funny to say this—but she catfished him in uh, Bell Reeve. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the teamwork from Bumblebee zapping Simon, and she knocks him out, and then McGann gets a really badass moment where Icicle Junior is like, "Uh oh." <laughs> Uh, I was right. <laughs> he just goes flying into the wall. <laughs> um, yeah, and these these villains also make it very clear that they have experience fighting the Justice League. So it's not like they're going mm-hmm. on these tiny recon missions anymore. It's like, hey, you're fighting the heavy hitters. You're just not going to be on TV about it. <laughs> yeah, who is it? Uh, I believe the woman's name is Devastation, the one that kind of mm-hmm. continually goes up against uh, Wonder Girl and the one that drags her down in the first place. She's like... What kind of chance do you think you stand? I've gone up against the real Wonder Woman, and then Wonder Girl gets that awesome moment where she's like, "Yeah, but you haven't trained with her." Yeah, and then she gets to lasso her and like slingshot her right back into Mammoth. I was like, "Hell yeah!" Yeah, it was it was awesome seeing Wonder Girl aggressive, and it's funny because I have like your text up on my computer. So the gift that you sent me of Wonder Girl like punching her, and it's up there as you say that. I'm like, "Yeah, get it." Nice, nice. It was meant to be. But yeah, we have a uh, abduction issue going on. Yes, yes. So that's a, a good opportunity to bring up, you know, season two does have the subtitle of Invasion. And uh, we knew that the the light had returned by the end of the, the first set of episodes we'd covered. Uh, but we get the introduction of this partner and we actually get a, a silhouetted appearance from him. I, I believe we're led to believe that this is the partner because Sportsmaster refers to him as partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess the, the... Let me make sure I say this correctly. The Krolitae, the Krolitaeans... Yep. Um, yes, were abducting and experimenting uh, on humans as guinea pigs because they were re- researching uh, the metagene. Mm-hmm. And uh, never met a gene I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> such a silly line yeah beast boy gets me (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me introduce you to gene gray might change your opinion (laughs) oh man yeah yeah we don't want any uh dark phoenix up in here (laughs) we'll take a peregrine flock falcons all day but no uh no dark phoenixes please (laughs) um yeah so you obviously uh, you've seen the season in its entirety and, and you've seen the subsequent season. So you kind of know what's going on with this partner. But as far as me going into this series fresh, they're re- doing a great job of, uh, as they did in season one, you know, threading, threading the needle and then getting us interested in this partner and having me question, you know, what exactly is his nature? We get, we definitely get a lot of, a lot of hints as to 
what the nature of this partner is. I mean, at this point in time, I'm fairly certain it's alien in nature and they have the, the keen interest in the metagenes because, um, there were a couple episodes where we got like the framework where we got the perspective of these alien beings observing things from a monitor and they were constantly commenting on the, the behavior of, of these characters and, and the metagene, like, um, in that, Flash family episode where we first got introduced to Impulse. We also got the villain of Neutron, who was actually wearing some kind of containment suit that uh, appeared to be created by this partner or partners, what have you. Um, but I feel like I, I feel like I've been just kind of theorizing quite a bit. So I'll uh, I'll give you the opportunity to you know, even with the context and the future knowledge you have, you can kind of speak to uh, how you thought some of those storylines were introduced and, and maybe plant the seed for what's to come. Yeah. I just wanted to, I wanted to get you to speculate for all the listeners <laughs> who are watching the show along with us right now who hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There's kind of been some hints already. I know I just spoke for a long time, but while you bring that up, I had to mention Lex Luthor who continues to be one of my favorite characters in the yeah. show. Just such an excellent adaptation they're, they're doing this time around. I love I love how charming he is. Um, he's even more likable than some of the heroes, I hate to say. <laughs> I mean, but that's the point. Uh, looking at you, Lagan. That's... That... <laughs> Lagan. <laughs> that's the point, is um, that he has this charisma and this mm-hmm, just stature mm-hmm. that the people love about him. Even though, like, our heroes mm-hmm. that we appreciate mm-hmm. and that we know are heroes are just like, no, we know the shady shit that you're up to, bud. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, the reason I bring him up, though, is because he has that moment where uh, Mercy's there beside him and he says, who knew that uh, facilitating an alien invasion requ- would require so much paperwork? And it seems, at the time, it seems like a throwaway line. But as I've already learned and mentioned in this episode, there's there aren't any throwaway lines in this show. So immediately when he said that, I was like, okay, he's a member of the light. He's facilitating <laughs> alien invasion. This season is subtitled Invasion. What's going on? <laughs> Who's he working with? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, while we're on the topic of Lex Luthor, what did you think of his interactions with the real Roy Harper? Well, I, I mean, I, I already kind of spoke to it. He was he came across um, just like he did with uh, the clone of, of Roy Harper and Superboy in season one. He really comes across as a as a friend, and it's interesting that he 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 comes bearing gifts. He's he's the Santa Claus or uh, whatever gift giving holiday figure you want to embrace. He is that for this universe. He gave Superboy his patches that allowed him to embrace his full Kryptonian power in season one. And uh, this time around at the end of this particular set of episodes, he's, he gives Roy Harper who will go on to embrace the moniker of Arsenal. He basically gives him a a mechanical, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a cyborg arm that uh, Roy Harper describes as more as advanced than the one that Mercy Graves has. Mm -hmm. So, I like the fact that it just goes to showcase he's always prepared, even when he's like put in that situation where he's got an explosive cord wrapped around his arm. Yeah. Even he he did seem the tiniest bit unnerved, but he's always got you know a card up his sleeve. He's got stuff to gamble with. Uh, he puts out that briefcase, and Roy's like, you know, how do I know this isn't booby trapped? He's like, well, I guess you really don't. You're just gonna have to trust me on this one so and luther even had the line of i'm i don't know what you're gonna do right now i'm just kind of praying for the best here yeah exactly or he said something he's the way he worded it he was like i'm dying to find out or something like that yeah, he just just to the fact that he's got an explosive <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the you know best villains um in the dc universe in any adaptation um while i'm just off the top of my head while i'm thinking about him he I did love the fact that he made mention of Otis. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar with like uh, the Donner Superman from the 70s and 80s, there was the henchman Otis that was first introduced in those films. So that was definitely a nod to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was kind of interesting that uh, Luther was the first one to even like suggest the name of Ars- Arsenal. And he was actually very like complimentary 
<laughs> yeah, of Roy the, the entire arsenal. time. I guess that was what kind of, yeah, I guess that was what was kind of uh, unique and interesting about that exchange. But uh, as far as the, the fight with Mercy goes, that, uh, you know, Luther was kind of throwing his quips in there for, like I said, some of the best, some of the best action um, in the entire show, just really harrowing in the tight spaces with all the cars. What, what you mentioned, uh, you hope Luther has a great insurance policy because we see a lot of cars yeah. up in that crash. <laughs> it's like he's either buying everyone new ones or that insurance uh, premium is going to be pretty, pretty hefty. And man, his security is dog shit too. Like, how long did it take them oh, to yeah. like? Not only notice that the top floor had blown up, but that, like, all these explosions were happening in the garage. Like, whew. But in regards to Roy's action sequence, like, the build-up to it was so beautiful, too. Like, him being in the hospital bed and everyone telling him what happened and that he's been out missing for eight years. And just his, like, he wasn't angry at the clone at all. He was just angry at Roy Hart, or um, Oliver Queen. Of, like, how'd you abandon me? Why'd you grow this goatee? It looks miserable um but (laughs) it also it kind of reminds me of winter soldier in the sense of he's been iced for eight years he's missing an arm but he's so combat proficient right as he wakes up like he knows where his stash Mm -hmm. is at and he's had no practice at all but he's he has this ability and i i kind of like say this is a martial artist that has like a jacked up shoulder too where it's like okay don't have one mm. arm might as well make do with what i have and he has that combat proficiency and that experience and that ability to just be like this is what i have this is what i'm working with all right let's go let's go get to work yeah no that's uh, a great point to bring up the the winter soldier comparisons are there and the fact that he's doing Even it with the missing arm does make it <laughs> yeah yeah missing arm um yeah, and the fact that he's he's able to have that impressive of an action sequence while he's missing one arm, yeah, yeah, just goes to show. And the other thing I appreciated um, that we actually experienced with both versions of Roy Harper is how the the animators like took the time to actually like show the physical changes to their body. Like the first time we saw the clone version of Roy Harper, he was very very gaunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously had the dark circles, the long hair, the five o'clock shadow and whatnot. But I noticed how skinny they made him look and how, yeah. how weak he looked. And obviously he had that moment with Black Canary where she said, you know, you're at your prime. This is me taking it easy on you. And I almost, you know, kicked you off the roof here. But same thing with uh, the real Roy Harper when he's in that hospital bed, just looking at, you know, the version that's had the opportunity to age five more years than he has. He looks very slender and young and uh i I like how they did like little subtle things to make a difference between the two like i noticed his hairline had a few more little flecks and whatnot just Mm -hmm. to to show even as much as they have the the same dna they are very different characters at this point in the game and even x guardians like a little more buffed up than the other two yeah yeah definitely i forget what his name is supposed to be Jim, Jim Harper. Sure. Oh, yep, you're right. Okay. So I'm looking through the okay. list. Yeah, I found it. Jim Harper. It was pretty close to Jim Halpert, if anybody's a fan of that. <laughs> I mean, I think but, Wally has a Jim Halper quip. <laughs> I said to change gears a little bit. What were your thoughts on uh, seeing Jay Garrick and the whole Flash family together? Uh, absolute pleasure the flash family some of my favorite characters and uh jay garrick you know they stay true to that uh that golden age comic design he's got the tin the tin hat with the wings the bright red sweater with a a nice lightning bolt going across it and the man is clearly up there in age so um is it 70 years married or something like that i was trying to do the math on that like wait when did you get married when you were 12 like 70th anniversary yeah that's 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 wild um but barry is a character that uh we really haven't got to spend too much time with so it was really really nice to um you know get some more of his personality and and find out what actually distinguishes him from some of the other speedsters and he's he's really got this kind of uh it's not in the same vein as as superman in terms of being like a boy scout yeah 
a Boy Scout, but he he is really well-meaning and kind of a, a goody two-shoes. And I, yeah. I love the fact that they embrace the the cheesy nature of like be back in a flash. <laughs> Does he say that groans. a lot? And everyone just turns at each other <laughs> too often. <laughs> Yeah, I like the way that he was, like, telling the citizens where to go and just being, like, super cheerful and then bossing the captain around. And, yeah, he does have this energy of just kind of, like, trust me, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I kind of mentioned that the the top of the episode, in terms of, like, getting to spend time with these speedsters and actually see their, their power set um, visually depicted in, in such a dynamic way... Super, super impressed with this episode. You know, it kind of gave some, um, retroactively gave some some context to this version of Wally West. It seems, well, it doesn't seem like it. It was, it was pretty obviously spelled out for us that he is significantly slower mm-hmm. than both Barry Allen as well as Bart Allen. And, and Bart Allen gets the opportunity to throw a few digs in there about him not having, you know... The Allen blood. Th- yeah, the Allen blood as far as the eyesight goes. And then there was that, that super, super funny moment where Bart and Barry are talking at super speed. And the police chief is, like, asking Kid Flash, like, you getting any of that? And he's like, I got funnel cake. That's all. <laughs> Every fifth word. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about what um, the, the wind tunnels. And he was like, I heard funnel cake. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which really made yeah. me want one at that point. <laughs> speaking of high metabolisms yeah we could use a funnel cake right about now uh, we're about to uh feel the mode if we don't crash it soon am i right yeah right <laughs> uh as much as this was a flash family episode it really was a bart allen episode mm-hmm. and uh we learned a lot about his character in a very short amount of time and i love you know i already mentioned jason marston does the voice and the guy sounds like he had just like taken a little bit of helium and he's got like that sped up nature <laughs> to his voice anyway. And he just sounds like super excitable about everything. But uh, it's even got, you know, time travel is, is nothing new to science fiction or the comic books. But it almost had like some Terminator vibes where we get to see this dystopian future. And uh, he claims to come back to the past as a tourist, which uh, I definitely made note of because I don't know how familiar you are with... Uh, you know, the Flash's rogue gallery, but reverse Flash, Eobard Thawne, that is famously his origin story. He's mm-hmm. actually a Taurus that wanted, he was such a big super fan of Flash, he became obsessed with Flash and wanted to become Flash and traveled to the past and tried to be Flash. And when he couldn't live up to what the Flash was, it kind of broke something inside of him. So definitely a, a nice nod there. I'd love to get some of your thoughts on, on the character of Impulse. I know I've been waxing and waning here, but that just goes to show how much I, I was endeared to this this character very quickly, no pun intended. Uh, one quick thing I want to, just a little detail that I really enjoyed was the fact that Flash has his suit inside of his ring. Uh, so seeing yes, it like floating yes. around and get in there, and I was like, oh, it's such a nice touch. Um, yes, I love that. But yeah, it's really crazy to see that there's a future where mountain justice is like blown up and despite bart allen's attempts apparently like his his mission was to save the flash like the flash is key to something and despite saving him like that was still an inevitable result of like what happens that mount justice like sees its doom that this is their base this is where the justice league first like started like what happened to bring us to this point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but man i just I love his character. Like, he's such a fanboy of everybody. You know that there's, like, open records of everyone now. You know that Dick and Tim are still keeping their identity pretty secret because Gar was there and he was like, your name's Tim? Your name's Dick? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I know we had he, the he's... little... Um, I, I guess I wanted to bring this up anyways, but the other, like, major female moment that we had was when they were at the bridal shower, bridal shower after Artemis' death. Yes. And you get to see, like, everyone in the casual stuff and then, like, gear up to kick Captain Cold's butt. Um, I'm, so Barbara Gordon I'm, doesn't really care about her identity. She just kind of keeps it out. I made note of that moment because it was really funny that they uh, juxtaposed... Uh, it was, I think it was the action sequence between... Yeah, it was... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It was when Speedy was fighting uh, Mercy Graves. Um, they cut between that and Captain Cold just basically, like, comically like 
knowing that he he doesn't even stand a chance. He's like, I'm doomed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that little scene too too much. Like I, I I couldn't just not bring it up. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, it was funny that you know something happens where all these people's identity just kind of go out into the open too. And Impulse is just such a huge fan of everybody. He's ruining like the future for everyone. He was like, Hi mom. Hi aunt whatever uncle whatever she's like iris is like i'm having twins by the way i'm pregnant spoilers <laughs> spoilers um, yep. yeah i just i love the high energy nature of his character like i'd probably want to smack him if i could if i was like in that room with him which a few people apparently wanted to do but it's it's just it's a very nice addition to the team at this point mm-hmm. he's got yeah. he provides that energy that kid flash always kind of had to everybody's a little more uh because i mean kind of a biased opinion because nobody likes Lagan anyways. Nobody kind of has that perky <laughs> attitude. Like Dick is kind of like the goofball here and there just to kind of lighten up the energy. But overall, like it's nice having this kind of consistent thing to provide that. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I love how, uh, everybody's trying to like understand the lingo, like just like we are. Yeah. And I feel like by the end of the episode, I finally got like a, a good understanding that's, you know, crashing the mode, is a good thing, but feeling the mode is a bad thing. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, I love that yeah. Gar's like asking questions, and he's like, "Do I get my own reality TV show?" I was like, "What, what kind of things are you prioritizing right now?" <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, sorry." His buddy, mom was, was an actor and everything too, so he's like ready to be on the camera. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Beast Boy was one of those ones we didn't get to spend a ton of time with, but uh, we got you know such a poignant moment with him. Um, in the last episode arc, it just speaks to what the show does a, a good job of. It kind of paces everything out. We get to focus on certain characters while other ones take a back seat, and then um, you know, flesh flesh some other ones out. But the only other one that I, I kind of had on the table that we didn't get the opportunity to spend too much time on was uh, the Jaime Reyes version of Blue Beetle, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely definitely got some good. Uh, background provided for him in terms of him being a legacy character it was really nice to get that name drop for ted cord yeah and uh as far as this universe's adaptation goes i'm this is one i'm going to be paying close attention to because obviously he has this scarab on his back that he communicates with and he describes it as a, a jiminy cricket with an attitude but in this universe uh, apparently it's an ai that was created by ted cord and I know in the comics it's actually of alien origin, but I'll, I'll be curious to see uh, what else is revealed down the line because um, there were a couple of instances that made me wonder, is there more to be revealed there? Because the Scarab would say things like not compatible, mm-hmm. and that was often in, in context to um, alien technology. So, um, But... He's uh, he's definitely a character that's kind of been played to comic relief, especially, um, you know, being one of the younger members of the team. But I, I really like how we got the... Uh, uh, did he get to spend any time with uh, with Impulse? Did, did their uh, relationship start to... They were talking the in the... In the Sanctuary, which I, I kind of wanted to bring up this point, so this is the perfect yeah, transition yeah, is... When they were sure. talking in the sanctuary, um, they were talking about how because Ted Cord passed away and he just kind of got the scare like he doesn't have the mentor like everybody else does. Yeah, which was a yes, really was awesome it moment. was a very very nice conversation that I think I'm going to poke at uh, Matthew Fox at Superhero Ethics about about yeah, like that that standard of mentorship because he's he's heartbroken at the fact he's like dude you've only been here for a couple of days and you have two three flashes to work with like tim drake has the whole bat family you have the flashes superboy has superman like everyone's got somebody i have to learn all this stuff on my own like he's not even telling people that he's like talking to the scarab like he finally broke it to superboy but that thing is actually like attached on his spine and like taking over at times too like you see his his friend's dad like trying to abuse him a couple of times and he's just like don't kill him don't kill him don't kill him uh, so like, it's it's a real struggle, and they kind of go back to that where it's like a lot of the I mentioned before, like at the the early stages of the team, they didn't they were kind of like neglecting to listen to their mentors, and then the the teamwork just wasn't a factor. A lot mm-hmm. of the team has grown from this. The newer members have learned from this, but 
he's facing this thing where it's like, dude, I don't understand my powers quite yet. Like, I know I can be lethal, I know I can be helpful, but sometimes I just kind of lose control of this thing and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, no, that's uh, certainly certainly true of the character. He's uh, figuring this out as, as much as, you know, the rest of us are. Another cool thing that stuck out um, on your point of alien origin was uh, the fact that he speaks to apocalyptic and Apalexian species. Yes. And the Krolotean species as well. Like, it's it's interesting how much um, he has this ability to translate on an intergalactic scale. Yeah, um, I did appreciate that. Uh the fact that as often as this show has done an excellent job of having these uh, bombastic action sequences, it was a, a really nice moment that he chose to communicate. And it is, it's even through the scarab. The scarab is kind of always like diverting to the most effective or like hostile quickest way to get <laughs> exactly the quickest way to get things done. And he's like, uh, you know, can I shoot him now? Communicate communication is yeah. He said like something along the lines like communicating would be like a, a sign of weakness or something. Yeah. Like that. He's like, wait, it's actually possible to communicate with him, and uh, yeah, the fact that this this creature, this golem, doesn't even really want to exist. It was happier as like these separate pieces, mm-hmm. and then uh, it shows the, the again the mysterious partner that I don't have that much context about. He goes out of his way to destroy the creature with a similar. Um, sonic blast that kind of looked like it matched what Blue Beetle was doing so um, I definitely made note of that it'll be interesting to see who this partner is given the fact that he's got access to similar technology and he made the point to Sportsmaster that it was better that that thing be destroyed than to you know fall into what they call enemy hands but Mm -hmm. The, the other thing that stood out to me about the Appalachians is um, kind of going back to the Sanctuary as well. It's the fact that the Justice League keeps these trophies of their enemies they defeated. Yeah. Which is kind of weird given the fact that, yeah, they don't want to have these statues of their fallen ones. And uh, I, think, I think it's Blue Beetle that mentions it was Captain Adam specifically that said they, you know, they didn't want to do that. It was his call not to have these statues and they they don't want to show want that they're to... vulnerable exactly exactly but it did give me pause and made me um kind of make note i'm, I'm going to be interested to see where captain adams uh i don't know his motivations lie he we haven't spent terribly terribly too much time with him but he seems like he's uh the few instances we have got to spend with him he seems like he's very direct and to the point and mission focused a little bit more so than even somebody like Batman. Like Batman is at least, you know, taking the opportunity to explain the reasons for some of his actions and whatnot, where I get the fact that uh, Captain Adam's a little more military militaristic in his, uh, yeah. his leadership. But he seems he to captain, base so. things off a hunch a lot more where Batman likes to come in with all the information. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, okay. this is a situation that's, that's... offhand. Let's just work with what we got. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, the leaguers that have been off planet for so long, when they finally do re- return, or when we we learn more about what they've been doing. I, I, I'll be interested to see um, if they're satisfied with uh, maybe the way the league has conducted itself. Because, we, yeah, we really just. And, I mean, the show is called Young Justice, but we've really just been spending so much more time with the the team forthright than, than with the Justice League at all. And yeah, um, Whatever little bits of the league that we get are very well placed. Oh, of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, we know that Yeah, Rocket and uh, Zatanna are members of the league, so uh, always nice to see them return. I did have to... You mentioned the, the bridal shower that we got. I couldn't help but make notice uh, or make mention of the fact that... Uh, Obviously, Aqualad, the love of his life was Tula, but he did have that kiss with Rocket on New Year's Eve. So I was like, okay, yeah. that was just a kiss. And then, uh, oh, yes, yes, I, I on the subject of romance, um, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. So we did get to see Zatanna again. And uh, when we got that <laughs> reveal about who all was in on the ruse regarding um, Aqualad being, you know, a very deep undercover um 
member of a black mana squad trying to gain leadership to the light uh they give artemis this enchanted necklace that changes her appearance to everyone except for them <laughs> and, uh Artemis wants to know how Ro- or, uh, see there I go again calling Nightwing Robin. He wants she wants to know how he was able to get something so specific from Zatanna without telling her who it was for, and he's like, oh, we share a history. And then Kid Flash is like, dog. I love that so much. They're definitely my favorite couple. I knew you would. I, I, I need to see more of them together. Like it's a, it's just a, such a nice relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, Dick Grayson is a uh, a character that has like we got to see you know his. Uh, He's a humble man. Yes, he is a humble man. Yeah, that's what. Well, I won't say that's what differentiates him from from Bruce Wayne, but we learned how different a leader he is from Bruce Wayne, and. Uh, He's he's not above uh, compartmentalizing information. It was like uh, in that episode where Artemis had her big moment. Uh, who was it that even questioned while he was coming back into the field in the first place? Was it Superboy? It was either Lagan or Tim Drake. I think it was Lagan. Yeah, now that you say it was Lagan. Yeah, and he's just like, yeah, after running the team for the better part of a year, I just kind of was itching to get back and then find, oh, you sly dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, we definitely got some nice closure to the character, well, Partial closure to the character of, of Roy Harper. Um, and then, yeah, certainly I've, I've made mention of the fact that uh, Aquaman's uh, pending induction into the light and the reveal of this partner um, and the exact nature of what they want to do with these uh, metagenes as well as these um, observers of the future. I mean, I think those are the things to look look at going forward is i don't is there anything i'm leaving off the table or um any other takeaways that uh you felt were important as far as what to look forward to uh nothing i should say (laughs) uh but one of the things that i told you offline was that uh it was bugging me but due to the fact that i've seen justice league doom uh carol ferris of ferris airways was like a companion of how jordan green lantern um yes. so it was it, it's cool how they drop these little characters and if you guys have some that we haven't mentioned yet whether you've seen the show or not where it's like hey this person came up or this person's a comic book person like feel free to like shoot us an email or a message and say like yeah. who you think these are because it's, it's cool how they're like casually dropping these in here without it taking away too much from the story yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad you, you bring that up. That We're definitely looking for you know communication with the fan base. So I, I set up a Gmail account. It's uh, Animation Deliberation Podcast, all exactly how it sounds, at gmail.com. And then uh, I set up a Twitter as well. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's Animation Delib1. Unfortunately, Twitter would not let me put type out the whole Animation Deliberation, but you get the idea, Animation Delib1 one so yeah follow us on there um as well as you know follow stranded panda go to strandedpanda.com to join the stranded uh army uh give all the podcasts a listen there as uh well as uh consider joining us on uh twitch on wednesday nights we do um trivia there and uh we do some fun games afterwards and then um you know the flagship show the mcu podcast they do live watches on uh for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is going on right now. They do that on Fridays, and then they have their feedback episodes on Mondays. And then uh, just to give a plug to another one of the shows, uh, I know the guys on Binger's Assemble have been covering all the Godzilla films in preparation for Godzilla vs. King Kong, which isn't animated, but there's enough uh, computer-generated imagery in there. I think we could, you know... We could kind of <laughs> have an opinion. Say we're excited for that without uh, betraying our animation fans. <laughs> well, that's all I got. If you want to follow me, um, you can find me at J Scott for Real on Twitter. That's uh, J S C O T T number four R E E L, and then on Instagram, it's the same thing, but it's J Scotty instead. So um, I'll probably see if I can just get everything updated in uniform to jay scotty to make it easy on you guys but that's all i've got for this week uh you know look forward to our continued coverage of 
Young Justice Zuhair. Anything else? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me just for my personal nonsense, you can follow me at Zoo786 at Z followed by 5 U's 786. Stay well. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark. Be whelmed. Later. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S-curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the lines being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.